0: Okay. My name is Jill Newmark. I am an exhibition specialist at the National Library of Medicine in the History of Medicine Division's exhibition program. Um, My role here is the manager of traveling exhibitions. I also curate exhibitions, and I'm the exhibition registrar, so I'm responsible for any materials that we use uh, on-site for uh, exhibitions. My role with Finding Women's Pushing Boundaries is as its uh, curator, so I curated the exhibition uh, f- for the library.
1: And what, is that, what does that mean really to be a curator um, for something that's kind of more, um, it's a six panel exhibit basically yes. um, and maybe a little bit different than what some people might consider a curation or a curated exhibit.
0: Well, as the curator, uh, I do all the research on the subject matter, write the script, select the objects and assets for the exhibition, so all the images that are in the exhibition. The exhibition actually started first as an on-site exhibition, so we had six cases with artifacts in it, so I chose the artifacts, wrote the text label and the script. That was um, turned into the Six Banner Traveling Exhibition.
1: And can you tell me a little bit about um, why you chose what's in this exhibition for a lot of people? um, They may be seeing it in Norlin or they may not have seen it at all. Um, And it is a traveling sort of thing, so it's not even like it's here all the time. Um, Well,
0: I can tell you sort of about the origins of the exhibition. (coughs) Um, I had curated another exhibition with another individual on African-American contemporary African-American academic surgeons. And part of that was obviously contemporary African-American surgeons, but in order to tell that story, you also have to tell a little bit about history. So, as curators for that show, we wanted to show a little bit about early 20th century and uh, 19th century African-Americans that were surgeons. As a result of that, it piqued my curiosity in One particular surgeon named Alexander Augusta, who was the first African American commissioned as a medical officer in the US Army during the Civil War. And so I started to do a little bit more research with that, and uh, it became kind of a passion for me. And I was fascinated with this story because most people didn't even know that African Americans were surgeons, saying in, in the late 19th century and early 20th century, let alone a surgeon during the Civil War. So that's kind of how that. Pushing the exhibition came
1: about. Right, and so what did the role, um, what what did a lot of these surgeons and nurses um, and African Americans, what role did they play um, in kind of the Civil War? I think a lot of the times, as you mentioned, their story has been left out of history.
0: Yes. Um, uh, oftentimes what African Americans do and what they contribute is often overlooked or just neglected or people look at it as not being important but <clears throat> the women and men that served during the civil war that were african-american they um, they contributed in many ways they served as nurses and they served as surgeons but they also did other things as well you know laundresses cooks um, laborers but my uh, my focus was really on the medical profession nursing and Uh, physicians that served as surgeons and there weren't that many there were only 14 african american men that served as surgeons uh but then this this kind of will give you an example of uh, how their contributions were important and why they were important and why we should recognize them there was a hospital named Chimborazo hospital which was the largest confederate hospital so this was a confederate hospital um, had all white patients but all of the nurses serving in one particular part of this hospital were African American large, the largest percentage were men the largest percentage were enslaved there were a few that were identified as free um, the surgeon in charge who was a white medical doctor had written a letter talking about the hospital And basically said that without these nurses, the hospital couldn't survive. So even though people discounted what they did, didn't often recognize them or even make a mention of them, they were critical in the operations of hospitals and the services that were given to uh, soldiers, wounded soldiers.
1: Right. And so, I mean, there's also been a lot of study on... um kind of colonial medicine and how um, that has had a very fraught relationship with race uh, especially with colonization um, in America and are there accounts from these um, doctors and nurses and surgeons about what they were experiencing at the time or how do how are you kind of getting all of this information
0: well as you might imagine since this is a subject that has been neglected you have to really search uh and search for the material you can't just go to the library and find a book and find all the information because there really isn't one so you have to go and search through the records and you for me I had to go to a lot of primary sources um a lot of uh, records you know starting with government records like compiled service records from the two surgeons that were actually commissioned as uh, surgeons in the army. The government also kept records on medical personnel that served. They kept lists of um, the Chimborazo Hospital for instance had lists that said Negroes that served in Chimborazo Hospital number 5 because they had several different ones. So you have to go to all these different records. There are some surgeons that uh, whose, whose letters were Kept and collected, um, primarily because they had other people in their families that were well known, and somebody kept all the records, all the letters, and donated them. You don't often find that; uh, it's kind of rare. But you you search through um, a, a lot of what I found was through letters that were written to newspapers. A lot of African American soldiers wrote letters to newspapers like the Christian recorder. And in that they told about their experiences. So it's through some letters to newspapers, some letters that were kept and are in collections around the country. Some are through pension records where somebody is applying for a pension and they'll describe what their service was. Sometimes it's through letters that other people write about about knowing these surgeons. So it comes from a lot of different sources.
1: So I know the reason that CU rented this is uh, as part of their celebration of Black History Month. Um, What was kind of your intention with telling this story? I know you said that you've talked a bit about contemporary African-American medical professionals, and maybe it was kind of getting that. Is there a certain... Um, sort of thesis or message that you want um, people who are looking at the exhibit to come across with? I think that it's it, it,
0: it originally began um, out of my curiosity about one particular individual, but as I began to do research, I realized there wasn't a whole lot out there, and their stories are fascinating, they're interesting, they make correct they made contributions and they paved the way for the future for African-Americans in medicine and in military, um, and military service as far as medical commissioned officers. So once I realized um, how neglected that subject was and how interesting the stories are and how important they are, uh, my goal really is to get that story out and to let people know that these people existed that there were African-Americans that were surgeons and nurses during the Civil War, and they made contributions that were important. And they paved the way for the future um, and made it maybe a little bit easier for the next person. So it's really trying to illuminate a neglected part of uh, African-American history and a neglected part of Civil War history.
1: Sure. And it's well known that uh, systemic racism has often suppress the stories of um, minority groups, not just African-Americans, but Latinos and indigenous folks and such. As a curator, um, how does that affect uh, your work, knowing that um, there may be material out there or there may um, maybe stories that uh, have happened and were documented in a way but weren't maybe deemed as important at the time and so not archived correctly and all of that? Um, well,
0: that certainly is the case, and I'll give you I'll give you a, I'll give you a, a um, an interesting example of this. Um, I did a lot of my research at the National Archives here in Washington, D.C., because they have all the federal records, and they have all of the compiled service records of military people that served. They have the records of medical personnel that served, whether they were commissioned officers or contract surgeons, um, and they also have the records of pension applications and pension files. And so here's a, a very interesting part of that story um, that might illuminate it a little bit. So the National Archives is very well known and holds all the records of the federal government. Um, and I was looking through the pension records of one of the surgeons that served. And what was striking to me is when they brought this these two folders, which was quite a large folder out and I took it to the, in the research room and I opened it up. There was a photograph in there. And it was a photograph of this particular surgeon. And it had a document attached to it that was associated with it, telling a little bit about him and why he was sending this photograph, because he had, was trying to get a pension and he was trying to prove his service. And at that moment, I realized this was a photograph that no one had ever seen probably it might have been a hundred years since somebody even looked at the paperwork that was in here so here's a large repository of federal government documents accessible to anybody in the public but yet here was a photograph that had never been seen before and so that's the kind of that's the kind of thing that you're dealing with especially with the subject so it was very funny because i went and i was just totally excited about this and i knew that it was something that no one had seen and i took about 30 photographs with my camera and then went home and tried to figure out what do i do with this information and it's something that i felt it was so important that it should be out there so i ended up writing an article for the national archives magazine they have a quarterly magazine called prologue about finding this photograph and what that photograph represented so that's kind of um, and that's that that's an example of how the research goes and how rare it is and here's a here's a perfectly wonderful photograph in a federal file that no one's looked at do S- no existed
1: so sometimes it's there in the file has there, been, yes. has there been a circumstance where you know that there's a document or a record of something, but it's not in federal um, kind of filings and records, and you've had to track it down?
0: Um, well, one, it, this is, it sort of kind of goes along with that idea. Um, when I was doing research for the Binding Wounds exhibition, there's a section called In Uniform, and it talks about wearing the uniform and how the uniform was a symbol of pride and patriotism. And in order to tell that story, um, I was using Alexander Augusta, who was a major, and if you're going to tell a story about a uniform on a soldier, you really need a photograph of the soldier in a uniform. The only thing that I could find, that I could track down, was a, kind of an illustration of Alexander Augusta uh, in a uniform, just like a portrait, a bust from the waist up. And this came from a library in Canada, in Toronto but i kept looking at that photograph and that 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 image of this illustration and saying it had to have come from someplace where did this person who drew this where did they get that idea that this is what he looked like and this is what his uniform looked like so i had to think outside the box and i said to myself who in the who in the world would have had a photograph like that of alexander augusta and the only person that i could come up with, was with was his wife so I did a little bit of research on his wife and found out where she was from and after his death where she lived and she was from a family from Baltimore and after Augusta died she moved to Baltimore but she went and lived in a convent called the Oblate Sisters of Providence which is the first um, religious order of women of color that uh, formed in the United States about 1830 and um mary augusta who was alexander's wife uh had two of her own sisters that were nuns in this order so she lived the rest of her life there so if she had a photograph and she had no children her estate would have been left to the convent and the convent is very old and they have an archive of their own And I picked up the phone and I said, you know, I'm looking for this. And I told them, and the archivist said, you know, I think we have something like that. So I made an appointment uh, for the next week. Uh, Couldn't sleep all weekend because this was really exciting for me. Went there, and sure enough, they had a photograph, a little carte de visite, which is very small. Um, And it was the exact image of what this line drawing illustration looked like. So here was something that I thought had to exist but i had to figure out a way to figure out where it could be and who might have had it and where i might be able to find it and sure enough it turned out that it was the place that i had taken this trail of investigation that led me to a a convent and you know you have to kind of think outside the box and you have to you can't discount the contributions that women have in the stories Because if I hadn't thought outside the box and hadn't gone in the direction of um, his wife, I never would have found the image. And who would have thought that a religious order of nuns would have such an important piece of Civil War history in their archives?
1: Jill Newmark, thank you so much for joining me.
0: Thank you for the invitation.